What's up, everyone? It's the Log, the Jam, the podcast. I'm Japan, coming to you as always with Rob. How you doing, Rob? I'm doing pretty well.、Uh, the NBA offseason has died down, which means less work for me, but also it's a, it's a real struggle to produce content, which is not very good.、Uh, but, you know, doing okay.、Uh, just ready for basketball to start up again, honestly. And we're also joined by a very special guest, a special re- reunited with a special guest, you could say, Patrick Zajak. He is the founder of the Lob the Jam, the podcast, way back when during the Lob City days.、Uh, now we're like 109 episodes in. And of course, if you scroll back, you can hear, I think the first episode was with Pat and Lucas.、Uh, Pat, how are you doing? Good, man. Good.、Uh, yeah, long time、uh, no see, or should I say, talking with you guys, but man, excited to. Be back on.、Uh, it's been forever. I'm glad you guys have kept things rolling since those early days. I actually still have、uh, this little sign in my living room here of the Lob the Jam, the podcast with the original <laughs> logo that we made that、uh, my fiance made for me a while back. I think as a birthday gift or something like that. So、uh, I'm still keep it, keeping you guys tuned in all the time. I was, I was up listening to the late night、uh, one you guys posted with everybody on、uh, after, right after the Kawhi signing and Paul George trade. So I was in mass hysteria, much like the rest of Clipper Nation on that night. Yeah, it's pretty incredible. We have a tradition here that we've been doing, as you probably heard from that podcast. But we ask everybody, we ask everybody to also throw us back one. We always ask, what to do, baby? What to do, baby? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so on that note, so what do you think about, about this whole the Clippers now? Where did the Clippers kind of rank in the pecking order? Of the NBA for you, and just what was your general, where were you when everything happened, and what was your general feeling when it all yeah. happened? Yeah, so I was, ah,、uh, man, I was always the sort of cautious optimist surrounding Kawhi Leonard's free agency, you know, just in my head,、uh, spinning sort of the narrative of like, this is a perfect culture fit. He doesn't want to team up with LeBron. I don't think he really wants to go back to Toronto. So there was always that sort of, like I said, cautious optimism. Within me. And, and I remember I was just constantly, we were on a, I worked for the Eugene Emeralds Minor League Baseball Club and do the radio broadcast. And we were actually out on the road、um, on a season long nine game road trip, I think、uh, towards the end of June and then through early July. So once July 1st hit, I was either talking on the radio or just like in a state of constantly refreshing Twitter, <laughs> waiting <laughs> for any sort of news. And then I actually had my fiance.、Uh, Iron on a custom iron, make custom iron on t shirt of Boardman Gets Paid with a Clippers logo underneath. Oh my God. Ready to unleash it as soon as that's how I was. Like I said, I was very optimistic, very confident that things were going to happen. And I was a little worried that、uh, I might jinx it with the early going because I work with a lot of Laker fans in the front office. So I、yeah. immediately wanted to have that ready、uh, to immediately throw in their faces because. You know, as you asked, like, where do the Clippers rank? But、uh, in terms of the NBA, like, they're the favorites and deservedly so. And this is uncharted territory for this franchise and for this fan base to have this feeling of, man, we are NBA championship title contenders, which, yeah, you might have, you, you would have been able to say that a bit during the Lob City era, but never to the extent、um, that,、uh, that, Things have turned out、uh, here this offseason、uh, with Paul George、um, and Kawhi Leonard joining the roster that was already put together.、Um, it's, it's unprecedented 
success. It's an unprecedented time uh, for the Clippers organization. And I think we as a fan base need to live it up. I mean, be excited. Trash talk other like this is we've never been here before. Enjoy it while it lasts. It's it's a super exciting time. Um, I don't know. It, it's kind of it's still kind of hard for me to realize that the Clippers are, are title favorites right now, or at least in the top three as far as title favorites go. But speaking of that, now that we have Paul George and Kawhi Leonard, we always ask about kind of what do you expect the stars to be, but probably more importantly, who do you think closes games with this team? Yeah, um, I mean, if you assume Paul George, Kawhi Leonard, um, and then it gets a little interesting. I mean, I think I'd want Lou and Trez out there um, so they can run the pick and roll. You need that offensively. It's absolutely lethal um, to close things out. And then I think you you experiment a little bit with who that last guy is. I think you want Pat Beverly in there um, for the defensive effort, especially, I mean, him, Kawhi, Paul George, out on the perimeter is is absolutely nasty. Um, and it's going to be so much fun to watch. But then you also got uh, Landry Shamit that you can work in there, of course. Um, if you want to go long with guys like Jamichael Green and Mo Harkless on the defensive effort, there's just there's just so many different options. I would lean towards Pat Bev most of the time being in that in that uh, final five spot with the aforementioned four um, that I mentioned. Um, but this roster gives you the freedom as Doc Rivers to sort of tinker with so many different combinations because there's so much length, so much athleticism, so many guys that can do so many different things um, and mix and mass peaches. You're not, ne- you're not necessarily, uh, if you're Doc Rivers, trying to fit a square peg into a round hole with certain guys. You have so many options, and I think that is what's going to be so difficult for teams to combat is just what are the Clippers going to throw at you on a nightly basis? You know you're getting Kawhi and Paul George, but the ancillary guys, like who else is going to be teamed up out there? Uh, it's, it's phenomenal what this front office has done to construct this roster around, obviously, the two stars that have just joined up. Rob, we've had some time to kind of digest everything. Um, now that Jamichael's coming back, what, what do you see for this team as a general starting lineup, just out of curiosity? I still kind of see the idea of Pat, George, Kawhi, um, and maybe it's just starting Jamichael and Zubat at the four and the five, just because I, I don't think either of those guys want to play four, even though it's a positionless, positionless league kind of now. There aren't too many bangers down low to take away um, from their durability, but I still feel like that might be the, the lineup to go to. Do you, do you see it differently? Do you see Paul and Kawhi at the three, four, Rob? I would prefer them to start at three, four. I think, the lineup with Shamit is probably a better lineup. Uh, I think it'll really depend on a game-to-game basis. I think sure. against teams that go small, you know, I think they could they could go small to match. I I probably prefer as much as I like Jamichael Green. I think it's important for the Clippers to give Landry Shamit those reps, and I think his shooting alongside Kawhi and PG would be really really valuable. And he's also at least you know a somewhat capable ball handler. Um, you know, both those guys can obviously handle the ball too, but it's nice to have another release valve. So I think I think I like that lineup better, but I'm guessing we'll see both of them um, throughout the season. And yeah, I mean, I think honestly, if Pat ever goes out with an injury, I wonder if we might see Shamit start at point guard um, right. to replace him. So there are all sorts of lineups the Clippers can throw out there. And I think either of those is good options. Personally, I like Jamichael off the bench a little bit better, um, but Shamit off the bench does add 
more juice to that bench lineup as well. Not like it really needs it with Lou Williams and Montrez Harrell, uh, but if you have all three of Rodney Magruder, Mo Harkless, and Jermichael Green, uh, that's not like a ton of ball handling or really shot creation, which puts a lot of the pressure on Lou. Uh, so maybe from that angle, you know, Shamit with Lou would be a better fit as well. So I, I can honestly lean either way. I think, honestly, the Clippers would have to screw up pretty bad to throw out lineups that aren't very good. Right. And Shamit was just interviewed by Hoops Hype the other day, and uh, I think it was on like the 10th. And he mentioned that, as far as what his off-season plans are, that he's really working his point guard stuff back into his game, kind of proving that he's not just an off-ball shooter because he played point guard in college. And, and of course, that stuff is kind of important to him. So that kind of also is worth mentioning in your idea of maybe having Shamit start and having him get reps, especially if he can handle the ball and he can handle the ball a little bit more. We saw flashes of it during the season that he does have more of a point guard sensibility than, say, J.J. Redick, who he is constantly compared to. Uh, so that's going to be an interesting little thing and to watch for this season. So, yeah. Anyways, Pat, this duo, how does this duo kind of rank against the other huge duos? It seems like it's a duo-based ba- duo league now. Where do you rank this duo right now that the Clippers have against, say, the Lakers, against, say, the newly formed Rockets duo? Uh, it's kind of going to be like that i feel like people are just kind of go by who has a stronger duo obviously we know the clippers have a very strong supporting lineup but if you had your superstars kind of dictating a playoff series like how would you kind of see our duo against the other duos yeah i'm i'm all in on on this you know dynamic duo sort of roster formation that has happened around the league i think it's exciting it's fresh for the first time we don't have you know yes the clippers are the prohibitive favorites around most publications but it does. It's not like a we were in the super team era. And as far as where the duo of Kawhi Leonard and Paul George ranks, I think if both are healthy, you give me those two in a playoff series, I'll take them every single time. And I know it's easy to say that um, as as Clipper fans and as guys who you know care deeply about how this team does. But I mean, just in terms of you're talking about the best two way wings in the NBA, are you one and two? Um, in the NBA currently, like I, I think the only one that compares is right across the hall um, with LeBron and, and Anthony Davis. But, you know, Anthony Davis, as good as he is and, and sort of unguardable that he is, I mean, I, I think the talk a lot of the offseason is who's going to guard Anthony Davis if the Clippers match up with them. But um, and, and the unicorn that he is um, in the NBA. But, man, I, I just love what Kawhi Leonard and Paul George can do, I think the defense that they can play together uh, is going to be fantastic. Um, I don't think the defense that they play really compares to uh, any other duo in this league, certainly not over in Houston with whatever the Rockets are doing. The Rockets are going at this offseason like NBA 2K style, it seems, um, pairing both uh, Westbrook and Harden. Um, I also like the Nets, you know, Kyrie and and Kevin Durant, of course. Uh, It's not going to come to fruition this year with – Durant's injury and whatnot but um, again defensively I think is where the the biggest gap lies between the Clippers dynamic duo and anyone else's in the league like obviously Anthony Davis and LeBron if LeBron wants to play defense um, which you know as he gets up there in age he's shown himself to not you know uh, dedicate that much effort into the defensive uh, end of things at times and that's what again that's why I think the Clippers duo ranks at the very top 
with Kawhi Leonard and Paul George specifically because of their defense. And again, they're the best two-way wings in the league. Paul George finished third in MVP voting, and I feel like he gets dismissed uh, in this in this recent you know sort of signing along with, with Kawhi Leonard. But uh, man, it's duos. It's number one, man. It's tops in the NBA. I agree. I think it's pretty excitedly number one. Though Laker fans can make an argument too, and I would listen depending on where their general frame of mind is. Um, as far as Paul George's shoulder injuries, I mean, we know he's. There's been a lot of publicity as far as the fact that he's had shoulder surgery and torn labrum and kind of concerned there. Are, are you particularly concerned about his health and his shoulders? Probably more so than Kawhi, who we know have, has has uh, chronic. Uh, quad issues uh, that he's been kind of dealing with. He was compensating with apparently a bit uh, at the end of the postseason, particularly in that Bucks series. How worried are you about the health of these two guys, really, in general? Not just George, but both of the superstars. Yeah, I mean, I I always hate to bring it up and say it out loud, but amidst all of this optimism and excitement and everything going into this season, there's still that sort of lingering little tick in the back of my mind and I'm sure a lot of fans minds of the Clipper curse and I mean yeah I'm not particularly worried too much about you know the health of Paul George and Kawhi Leonard but this is the Clippers as exciting as things may be now let us not forget our history when seemingly it's it's been Murphy's law at times with this franchise um I mean, even most recently with the Lob City era and how many playoff series were cut short by injuries from either Blake Griffin or or Chris Paul uh, during those times. Griffin, of course, when he first got out of the league, when he was first drafted, uh, had that knee injury that kept him out the entire first year. So as exciting as things may be, it's certainly a very real possibility uh, that things don't go as planned with uh, you know, the shoulder of Paul George. I'm not too worried about it uh, in the sense that I feel he gets sort of, maybe it's not too much of a prevalent opinion, but uh, a lot of folks say that that shoulder injury could cause uh, Paul George some problems. And I don't know if injury prone is, is the right word with him because I believe he's played at least 75 games every yeah. season since, his, since his, that uh, horrific leg injury he suffered with Team USA years ago. But so I, I trust him to grind through the season and be all right. Maybe uh, the Clippers front office plans a sort of a similar load management situation with I'm sure that's been extensively studied and researched and talked about with Kawhi Leonard. Um, and, and a lot of my optimism also goes back to the Clippers front office that for the first time, I think as a fan base, there is just an unmitigated trust in what the front office does um, and, and the reasoning behind every single move that they make because everything has been absolutely stellar in forming this roster. And not only that, but the culture surrounding everything. I mean, it's, it's unmatched, I think, in the NBA uh, with, with the guys they've brought in, not just on the floor, but in that front office. It is something special that Ballmer has put together. And I don't think they would take – the necessary risk with Kawhi and Paul George if they didn't truly feel that it was worth the investment also from a health standpoint. Rob, how do you feel about the team and as far as this injury aspect and just, I, I think now that some time has passed, we can kind of look more realistically at this roster going forward and maybe either temper expectations or just kind of re rejigger our expectations. Just kind of, it's just kind of an interesting time because I was so hyped and now all I'm thinking about 
one, I think about what things can go wrong. And two, I do think about, you know, I do think about matchups. I do think about how we can guard the LeBron, Anthony Davis pick and roll if it does come to that. How are we going to guard uh, Westbrook and Harden? How, how are we going to match up? I think we match up great against the Rockets. I think we'd smoke them. But as far as that goes, like, how have your expectations sort of been tempered now that some time has passed? I mean, I think probably my regular season expectations have been dwindled a little uh, you know, the more I think about it, the more I think they're either going to coast, whether through injury, you know, load management or because they sustain injuries or, you know, they're going to probably rest some of their other veteran players. I don't think the Clippers are going to be a great regular season team, but I'm still pretty confident that they're going to be a great playoff team as long as they're mostly healthy. Uh, to your point on PG, I'm actually, I'm still more worried about Kawhi's leg injuries than I am Paul George's shoulder injuries. Uh, you know, the fact that Kawhi was load managed all year and he was still playing through a lot of pain uh, the last couple series of, you know, the 2019 playoffs does worry me. I just wonder, you know, if his leg will ever be okay, if he's always going to be load managed, you know, if every playoff run he's going to start getting, you know, pain, more pain there as the games become more frequent. Uh, that kind of worries more, me more than Paul George. I've actually had shoulder surgery, certainly no picnic. Uh, but I mean, I've mostly recovered from it. And if I can, I'm sure Paul freaking George can, um, you know, it's different for everybody. He's a lot older than I was when I had it. Um, but he also has obviously much better medical attention and, you know, private trainers and whatnot. I think honestly, he's, he's probably going to be fine. And I think one of the shoulders wasn't that bad of an injury. I think it was mostly cleanup. Um, the other one, I think he did have a torn labrum, which is the injury I had. Uh, and certainly, you know, very painful, not a fun rehab, but I'm I'm sure he'll be able to get through it. So I am actually more worried about Kawhi on an injury front. And I'm also probably more worried about Pat because as of right now, the Clippers still don't have a backup point guard. Uh, Pat Beverly is essential both in the locker room and on the court. Uh, you know, his energy, his spirit, his toughness, and also just his ability to not turn the ball over, hit threes. He's really, really valuable. And you know, he's been a historically injury-prone player, and last year he was really healthy. So, you know, just fingers crossed that that holds up um, for the next season. But nothing has really brought me too down about this team. You know, they were able to re-sign everybody who were one of them to re-sign, you know, Ivica Zubats, Jermichael Green, Rodney Magruder. You know, I think, you know, Garrett Temple on the minimum for, like, the 14th man would have been nice. Uh, but he's going to get more money and more of a role in Brooklyn, so that's, you know, fine. Uh, you know, I wish they have been able to keep Ty Wallace uh, and or Sundarius Thornwell, you know, but the rookies played really well in Vegas. I mean, this summer has gone great. There have been no signs of any other injuries taking place, so I'm still really high on the Clippers. I do think they're probably not going to be one of the top couple seeds in the Western Conference just because they will be resting guys and load managing Kawhi and, and possibly George as well. So I think teams like Utah and Denver might win more games, but I think the Clippers match up with them and the Rockets very well in the playoffs. And, you know, as for the playoffs, I, I think the team I'm still most worried about is the Lakers, at least in the Western Conference. Uh, in the East, I think both the Bucks and the Sixers are, are pretty terrifying. Um, maybe actually especially the Sixers because of Embiid. Uh, right, the, but, the Sixers are concerning. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, you know, if the Clippers get to the finals, honestly, I think everybody will be, will be so happy at that point that, you know, <laughs> even, I mean, would a loss in the finals be, I mean, for most Clippers fans, even getting to the finals would be a massive deal. I mean, for this team, they might need to win the championship to help keep Hawaii and PG. 
But I'm just for the fans' benefit. I mean, I think it would be hard to think of a finals appearance as disappointing. I mean, what do you think? Yeah, I I don't. I think a finals appearance would get me pretty hyped. But at the same time, I'm constantly worried about losing these two. So winning a title is super important in the next two years. It's crazy to think that winning a t- winning the whole thing in one out of two years at the least is kind of, I wouldn't say a must, but very much would help our points. You know, it's not like George and Kawhi are both happy and home with LA. And it's not like the Lakers will have suddenly a ton of cap space to sign them both away or anything like that. I know LeBron will be off the books in a couple of years, um, I believe. But I, Davis will be there, and he'll be a max guy, and they'll have their. I'm sure they'll angle the idea of trying to take one of them, particularly Kawhi, and, and however when Kawhi comes off the books. But this is where Kawhi wants to be. This is the franchise he wanted to be with. This is the organization he wants to be with. It's just nerve wracking that we're still on a bit of a of a clock. Five thirty eight said that we wouldn't win more wins than we had last year. So, and their recent projections. 48 wins was the, was the Clipper projection, uh, which is kind of laughable, I guess. I don't think that that will hold true, even with load management. But we'll see. I didn't think the Clippers would win uh, 45 games last year. So, yeah, Pat, I mean, what are your expectations for these next couple of years? I know there's the idea that we are contenders, but how, how, how nervous are you of, of the idea of these guys leaving in two years? Because it's, it's you said, you know, there's this idea of a Clipper curse – uh, and that's probably more so just insecurity from the fans, just being longtime Clipper fans, than it is in the organization whatsoever. But there are nerves with Clipper fans, and I'm sure from with people within the organization to an extent, about these guys leaving. How nervous are you about our performance and them possibly walking in two years? Yeah, I don't know if nervous is necessarily the word. There's definitely concern, but at the same time, like this, this whole like two-year timeline, I mean – how many franchises truly feel like confident about their their stars their guys uh being with them you know longer than than that down the road i mean i always go back to milwaukee how it's already a lingering thing that we're talking about uh Giannis's free agency coming up here in a couple of years and already the Giannis to the Knicks stuff has already popped up all over social media so I mean, I, there's definitely a concern that they both leave, but to the points you guys mentioned, you know, this is home for them. This is a place where they grew up, the franchise that they wanted to ultimately play for. Um, and and there's there's so much confidence now, I think, within the front office that they're going to do the right thing and always make the right moves. Um, and I just think it's, it's the current nature of the NBA uh, that things change drastically in a couple of years. It's, it's not just, I think, a a Clipper specific concern or, or the nerves, so to speak, uh, that those two would leave. But man, I mean, and then in terms of expectations, I'm, I don't know. I mean, obviously, yeah, you want to win your title favorites. You want to, for the first time ever, we can actually see ourselves. The Clippers can see themselves as, uh, you know, having a team that can win a title. I'm year number one. I think all Clipper fans would be, exuberant over a finals appearance win or lose and maybe even a a conference finals appearance in year one yeah it'd be a tough pill to swallow Um, but at the same time uh, another year with with this roster put together in year two would would still have a lot of excitement although a playoff series or a playoff run that doesn't end in a title in year one is certainly will put a ton of pressure um, and even more nervousness um, going into that year two but 
there's much like Kawhi Leonard's free agency with me. There's a there's a very cautious optimism that you know at least uh, both of these guys will either sign another short term deal with the team after the two years are up. In my opinion. Rob, you called it frightening, I believe, in your Clips Nation article when Kawhi did the two plus one. Uh, what are your thoughts about about that kind of thing down the line? I'm a pessimist. I know you are to an extent in general about the Clippers, uh, but this is a big boost of confidence. Um, but still, what are your what are your thoughts about this team being on the clock and like the whole process of that? I mean, I think to some extent they're on the clock, uh, but. At the same time, I mean, Kawhi left a championship team to come here, and his whole thing was coming home. Now, maybe he discovers that two years here, and it's not quite what he was looking for, but LA is Southern California, whatever, is still going to be home for him two years from now, and the same goes for Paul George. So while I am kind of worried about them leaving, I do think that, you know, the reasons they wanted to go to LA were are still here. I mean, they obviously did want to win championships, especially Paul George, who has never won a championship. But, I mean, I think it will still be LA. LeBron will likely still be on the Lakers. Anthony Davis will almost certainly still be on the Lakers. Uh, there probably won't be much room for PG or Kawhi there. So I mean, maybe they would be fine going somewhere else after a couple years here. But they seem really genuinely excited to be back here. And, you know, unless it turns out to be an absolute disaster, I would bet on them staying, at least one of them, um, even if they don't win a championship. I think, you know, nobody has said from their camp or just in general that a title is a must to keeping them. That's kind of just what we've all thought. You know, I think if, for example, they get like a finals and a conference finals in the next two years, but they're having a good time playing in LA, they like their teammates, the teams have performed well, they just ran into better teams or tough luck or whatever. I don't necessarily think those two guys are like really likely to leave. I think it might not be, you know, they might be less likely than if they'd, or they might be more likely that they'd leave if, you know, than if they'd won a championship or two, but I don't necessarily think that winning a title is a prerequisite to them staying. I think it would just help the odds. Um, I do agree that a not great year this year would put a lot of the pressure on year two um, I really do think the first year has to be at least a conference finals. I think even that would be kind of disappointing, uh, but you never know what can happen. Like a juggernaut could just emerge somewhere and loom over the, you know, the Clippers or whatever and, and just dominate the playoffs or there could be an injury. You never know. But I do think this year conference finals is probably needed. And I'd say a finals one of the two years would be would be helpful. But you know, we'll see. I mean, the Warriors came out of absolutely nowhere in 2014-15 and became this juggernaut. It can happen anywhere else. I mean, it could be the Clippers, for all we know. Uh, but it's impossible to really know what the stakes are until the season has started, to some extent. Yeah. Um, so, just looking around at the rest of the team, are we kind of just locked into this team now? The supporting cast, that is. We have two max, max people now on the roster we have Zubat for four years seven mil a year we have Pat Beverly for his 40 mil de- deal for about three years we have now Lou Williams is going to be expired in a couple of years so really he also is an expiring uh, contract with the two that we have signed we have Trez who's going to be playing for a, a deal who if we do keep one of my biggest worries is that we're just 
I don't think we're going to be cheap when it comes to Trez and he's going to stay a Clipper. But we're going to have to pre- probably go deep into the luxury tax to keep somebody like Trez because he's going to get a nice deal, not a max deal, but a nice deal going forward. Are we just kind of hooked on the idea that this is the team where they're, aside from making some trades, there's a Mo Harkless trade that's kind of being floated around with his, his uh, idea of his expiring. We don't have that many picks in the future, aside from this coming year, I believe the year after. Are, are we kind of locked into this team for the most part, you think, Rob? We can start with you, Rob. Uh, what uh, do you I think? Don't, I don't think so at all, actually. Yeah. I think, you know, the Clippers probably don't want to trade a lot of the players on their team, but the Shea for Paul George trade should signify that anything is possible with this front office. Um, you know, if they were willing to trade Shade out Gilgis Alexander, who they absolutely loved, they're willing to trade, you know, Landry Shamit or Lou Williams or Pat Beverly. All of these guys are on very tradable deals. The only guy who's really significantly overpaid, I think, is Zubots. And if he develops like people think he can develop, even he won't be that overpaid. So I think all these guys are movable. And, you know, if it looks like they need, really need a starting shooting guard, or maybe Pat falls off and they want a better point guard, or, you know, Trez is undersized and Zubats doesn't develop, they can trade for a center. I think there's tons of flexibility, to be quite honest. I mean, I think the lack of draft picks isn't a great sign in terms of, you know, how they can get another true star. But in terms of just having good players on good deals, they have tons of those. Um, So I think basically every player on their roster right now is tradable. And, you know, obviously they just had two picks this past year in Fiondu and Terrence Mann. And, you know, those guys probably have pretty low trade value right now because they're just drafted and they haven't shown anything. But their assets as, as well. And the Clippers do have all their second round picks in years to come. So I think they're not locked in really at all. I mean, I think the only guy I'd say is, is pretty sure bet to be here in the next two years is outside of Kawhi and PG is probably Shamit. Um, and maybe after that, Pat Beverly. But I mean, I think there are all sorts of pieces that could be, who could be moved um, depending on how they look this year, you know, how things shake out. So yeah, I mean, I don't think it's it's really locked in whatsoever. What do you think about the roster flexibility, uh, Pat? Yeah, uh, Ra, I definitely agree with you, Rob, on, um, you know, that these pieces are definitely very movable, um, uh, tradable assets, so to speak, because of all these favorable deals um, that the Clippers were able to retain all of their, uh, you know, all their guys, the core from last year. But at the same time, man, I look at the deals like Pat Beverly getting three years, Zubach getting – getting four years um uh, lou williams has stated time and time again how much he enjoys it here even took heat i think he went on that uh podcast or whatever there was a video of him in an interview a couple of weeks ago right saying that, yeah he could have gotten a, he knows darn well that he could have gotten a bigger deal a better deal somewhere else had he chose to test the waters but he loves the fit here and i think that's sort of in that I go back to that that culture that the Clippers have instilled and sort of the camaraderie with this team gives me so much confidence that all of these guys truly want to be here because they enjoy being around one another and they know that they are going to be an absolute animal on the court this year and title favorites and and I think that that confidence knowing how good they can be is only going to f- further fuel the fire um, and have these guys want to stick around. I think for me, I could I could see Harold move Trez moving on. Yeah, you know, if he chooses to to um, you know pursue the big contract when he becomes a free agent, I think after this season because he's on an expiring deal. 
Um, but at the same time, you know, I think what him and Lou have coming off the bench is absolutely something special. Uh, they complement each other so well and it works so well. So while, yeah, I think there's certainly a ton of tradable assets as Rob alluded to. I think so many of these guys want to be here and, and deals like, you know, Pat Bev and Lou Williams taking, you know, lesser deals in terms of money, but wanting to be a clipper because of what this organization has going for it right now. Yep. So, I mean, I, I don't know what, what else to really talk about this team in general. I feel like now he's talked about the possibilities so much and now it's kind of just waiting for the products. There, there isn't really too much to be done as far as the roster goes. We're, we are looking for a ball handler. We are looking for a center. I think we've tossed around the ideas of names like Sean Livingston, Joachim Noah, uh, maybe Trey Burke, players like that. Nothing really too exciting. Anybody you see out there, Pat, that kind of moves the needle as far as these third string guys, especially, especially with respect to ball handling and bigs, since those seem to be one of our uh, two of our weaknesses if we do have any injuries to our rotation guys yeah absolutely but i i truthfully i mean no one really stands out to me the guys you've mentioned joe kim noah is, is i think the sort of leader in the clubhouse for me as far as you know deals that would make sense and you know not necessarily something that as you said i'd be excited about and and, and jumping up and down about but you know it's something that would make me nod my head and like okay yeah i see the fit he's going to help us um especially defensively but at the same time, I think I think the Clippers' role with this roster from a lot of reports are also saying they're trying to work a deal for Andre Iguodala. But each day that passes, it sort of seems less and less likely that Iguodala is going to be moved this offseason. I think the Clippers roll into the season with what they got, um, even with sort of the shortcomings that you just mentioned, you know, ball handling and, and another center. Um, but I think the Clippers sort of take the wait and see approach, see how everything gels right now. And then if an opportunity comes along, uh, still have some room as buyouts come along as well over the course of the season. Uh, I think I expect the Clippers to be players there um, to try and pick up some veteran ring chasers, so to speak. Um, but I think for now, the team rolls with what they got. Let's see how they perform for a half of a season together and then adjust as the front office sees fit. If it truly becomes an issue or injuries take their toll, um, I, I expect a move to be made and, and the right move to be made. But I think for now, I think this, this roster is staying put. You got your eye on anybody, Rob? I mean, I've mentioned Noah before. He's probably my favorite. Um, you know, a few guys have come off the board the past couple of days. Yeah. Not necessarily guys the Clippers are interested in, but still, you know, Justin Holiday, Kyle Korver, uh, Frank Mason. Now, Mason could have been a possibility as a backup point guard, I guess. So, you know, they're, they're very slowly but surely getting ticked off the board. So, you know, we'll see. We'll see who's available. But Noah's probably my favorite. For the point guards, yeah, Trey Burke, maybe Jeremy Lin. Uh, Lucas actually floated the idea of Bruno Caboclo, who doesn't really fit a need as much, but he could be kind of a backup power forward. I like him. Uh, Jarebko would be okay. I mean, there's really just a lot of blah right now. And, you know, I think it's, it's a very decent possibility the Clippers – enter the year with, you know, maybe a guy on a non-guaranteed or partially guaranteed deal just to fill that roster spot and then can easily waive them or, or trade them or whatever if, if a better opportunity comes along. The other thing is they do have another two-way spot open. And in some ways I'm a little more interested to see who they fit in there or that they go somebody who's kind of more of a need, um, you know, just in terms of somebody who could theoretically be a backup or more of a long-term play. So I'm also curious to see who they, who else they, 
adds to that two-way role alongside Amir Coffee. But, I mean, I think the roster is basically complete, um, though I certainly do expect change to happen uh, up in the year until the trade deadline in February. Okay. I mean, I think we can talk a little bit about the guards now. I think this whole Kawhi thing, obviously, <laughs> was a distraction from our very riveting 2018-19 recap and player position recap. I think we can talk a little bit. Uh, fittingly, we only talked about the centers, and the big centers that we talked about were Trez and Zubat, and they're both going to be Clippers for the foreseeable future, especially Zubat. But now I think we're going to talk a little bit about the rookie guard. It's, we can start with Jerome Robinson, a favorite of this podcast. Uh, Jerome Robinson was, of course, our, our pick right after Shagels Alexander, 12th in the lottery. Um, kind of a surprise for, for to just to be short from everybody that Jerome Robinson went that high. He was projected much later in the first round, at least in the 20s. He was a good scorer in Boston College. Seemed like he had a pure shot. Um, but he never really picked up steam as a clipper. He had some flashes where he hit threes, but really that's about it. In the G League, he showed a, a nice tendency to run pick and rolls. I think there's an idea that we want him to be a pick and roll guy. And with all these guys, I think we're going to talk about his exceptional games. But I just don't, I don't know. Robinson really, I don't feel like Robinson really was was exceptional <laughs> any time of this season. He had some exceptional plays. He uh, had two back to back eight point games that were much ballyhooed, but I don't think they were particularly remarkable. Um, Pat, since we, I think a lot of people listening have an idea what me and Rob think about Jerome, um, that we've been somewhat disappointed, but we're not writing him off. What, what was your take on Jerome Robinson this year and going forward? Yeah, I think the disappointing part, um, and I know that you guys have touched on it too, you, ex- you sort of expected Robinson to, in his second go around here in the summer league, most recently yeah. to sort of stand out above the rest, you know, and, and look like a guy that has spent the past year in the NBA against uh, all the fresh guys coming out of college. And it just didn't happen. Uh, those, there wasn't too many sustained, impressive performances to, to make you feel good about Jerome Robinson and him getting serious minutes with the team this season. And I think he'll certainly get a shot in the early goings. Um, but, and I, heard, I certainly hate to, you know, uh, throw too much pressure on the guy in his second year to sort of perform given where the rest of the roster stands. But, you know, it's 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 definitely in agreement with you guys. This was a guy that was taken one pick after SGA was taken. And, uh, I mean, the so we knew that uh, Gilgis Alexander was sort of the gem for the Clippers of that draft. But at the same time, when, you know, him and Jerome were uh, for that season, for last season, seen as the future for – for this team in the backcourt and, and Jerome just sort of never met that same meteoric rise of Shea over the course of the season. Um, and I'm, I'm sure the Clippers dangled Jerome Robinson in the trade um, for Paul George and, and possible other deals that they might've been exploring. But um, Jerome Robinson just wasn't enticing to anybody else uh, enough that certainly not that uh, Shea was. So I'm, I'm definitely in agreement with you guys. You know, he's certainly been a disappointment. We'll see. I'm sure he'll get, you know, a handful of minutes, especially in the early goings if uh, the Clippers are nursing any early season injuries. And, of course, with Kawhi Leonard's load management and everything. So he'll get his opportunities. But uh, based on his most recent summer league performance, don't want to put too much into summer league. But at the same time, we were hoping for that sort of for him to stand out above the rest. And that just hasn't happened. Rob, any new takes on Jerome Robinson? 
No. And I'm, I'm sure people don't want to hear us talk about Jerome anymore. <laughs> right. Um, I will say, I mean, there are a couple of Twitter questions about him, actually. So I'll probably answer a little bit more then. But um, I, I'm not sure how many minutes he will get even in the early going. We'll see. Um, I think we'll see, you know, him certainly get a shot in training camp and, and preseason. But I, I'm not sure about anything more. But I'm, I'm just not going to say anything else until questions. <laughs> right. I mean, the Clippers are clearly trying to see his ball handling, how he can handle the ball in the G League, uh, in Agua Caliente. In Summer League, they've been running him as point guard. Patrick Beverly has gone on record thinking that he can, thinks Jerome Robinson can be a good point guard in this league. So he's going to get his opportunity because that's what we need. But he was really disappointing in summer league. And that that's really as cons- like damning as anything else. Terrence Mann like totally outplayed him like the whole time. And that's our second round pick. And he played like two games. So <laughs> uh, we can, that's Jerome. We have caution for complete optimism, but there, but he'll have his chances. And it seems like the Clippers will give him chances. So his story isn't completely told just yet. Now onto our then backcourt of the future. We'll start with Landry Shamet. Landry Shamit, of course, was acquired in the Philadelphia 76ers trade. That's not Tobias Harris. Uh, we got Shamit. We got we got uh, that. Uh, we got some picks. We got really Shamit was the the cornerstone of that deal. Uh, we did get uh, Mike. Mus- we did get Wilson Chandler and Mike Muscala. Muscala ended up getting flipped for Ivica Zubat. Uh, Wilson Wilson Chandler came to but uh, you know we weren't he wasn't the huge <laughs> jewel of the trade as much as Shamit was and Shamit proved to be the biggest thing of the trade as long as as well as that pick so Landry Shamit impressed immediately um all the JJ Reddick comparisons came to fruition not just because he does a lot of things like JJ Reddick but because Doc ran JJ Reddick plays for him and you could see it immediately even in the even in that Boston game he hit, I want to say, three three-pointers in the fourth quarter, including a four-point play, uh, and was incredible. He was really good. He was super exciting immediately. Uh, he was four for seven from three in that game and uh, was huge. And he was exciting that whole half season he was here. He had a stretch where he had like six games in a row scoring double figures. He had that Knicks game where he tied – where he uh, it, maybe did he make the franchise – Market for threes and a half against the Knicks at home. I'm not sure if he made it or tied it, but he was really good. His his three point shooting numbers are on El on on uh, pace with somebody like Steph Curry when he was uh when he was a rookie as far as the, how many threes he made and his efficiency. So Landry Shamit is going to be a Clipper for the foreseeable future too. Great contract. Um, Pat, what do you think about Landry Shamit? What were your highlights for Landry Shamit's? short Clipper tenure so far and just the idea of Shamit going forward with all these, with these wings that we have now and all the three pointers that he's going to have at his disposal. <laughs> yeah. I'm really interested to see, you know, certainly the, the highlight was you know, the pinnacle for Shamit last year was uh go ahead shot late in oh, at absolutely. Oracle in the series, yeah. of course. I mean, that, that was definitely the highlight for Shamit, and and his and his defense on Curry was important too. Exactly, and I'm I'm very interested to see too with all the talk about Shamit uh, having more of a ball handling role, and then you know testing him out um, at the point guard position. And I think that's also why we haven't seen the Clippers make a move yet for uh, another ball handling guard. Is I think they truly want to see what they might have in Shamit there. And let's not forget this is a position that. He played in college at Wichita State, so it's not like they're asking him to do something foreign that he hasn't done before. 
Um, and, and I'm excited. I expect him to get a lot of time with, uh, with Lou and Trez this year coming off the bench um, because I don't expect the Clippers to uh, put either Kawhi or Paul George at the four um, spot in the starting lineup, which sort of relegates Shamit to the bench if, if the, uh, one of the other two guys are going to the two spot. But I'm, I'm excited to see Shamit year two. Uh, the, the shooting was impressive. I mean, during the regular season, a three-point percentage at 42%, which is phenomenal. Um, and, and I expect him to get a ton of great looks, like I said, around that pick and roll. And then we'll see if he can mold into an NBA point guard as well with those ball handling, with some increased ball handling opportunities. Rob, Landry Shamit, there's so much to say about him. I think I think a lot of the interest with him is a lot of his growth that we saw in that Golden State game, particularly from a defensive aspect. I mean, he had the huge three. He wasn't particularly on fire from three mm-hmm. against the Warriors. He had some huge threes. I mean, that one three that he hit that put us up, I want to say, maybe six points at home, that was like the loudest I've seen Staples um, in this short um, – that short in the season that we had, which was a great yep. season, but Staples was going crazy. It was so much fun. And he's starting to have that kind of vibe where if he shoots, if he's getting ready to shoot it from three, the crowd is just kind of expecting it to go in. More importantly, what do you see for him defensively? Do you think that Curry thing was just a matchup based thing? And we have to worry about him as being a negative defender still going forward. Do you see him making strides in that field? I think that's kind of a concern or like not a concern, but a point of interest along with the fact that he's might be having some more about ball handling duty. See, it's actually interesting because for me, I don't really care as much about the ball handling. I know that's a big emphasis uh, for the Clippers and to some extent it will unlock the thing that I care the most about, but I don't care as much about even his playmaking. I mean, I think that'll need to develop um, or really his advanced ball handling and shot creation as much as I care about his ability to shoot deep threes off the dribble, uh, which he's shown at times this year. Now, obviously, in order to do that, you need to have some kind of handle. And when teams start doubling him out there, he'll need to be able to find release valves like Steph Curry or, or Kyrie Irving or Damian Lillard, like all those guys can. But really, if he's able to unlock that part of his game, all of a sudden his, ups, his upside becomes immense. And he showed real flashes of being able to hit threes off the dribble consistently right. last year. Now, most of them were either standstill off the catch and shoot or coming off screens, but he took a bunch off the dribble. He made a fair amount of them. He also showed, you know, being able to hit from a couple feet behind the three-point line. It would be great if he was able to move that back even another foot or two. I don't know how many super deep threes he took, um, but I think that part of his game really interests me the most. I mean, as a Clipper, he took six threes per game and shot him at 45%. I'm not sure if that's sustainable, uh, but if so, I mean, that would put him on par to be one of the greatest shooters the NBA has ever seen, which, I mean, that's lofty expectations for a rookie. I don't know if he's really going to be able to live up to that. But if he can up his volume a little bit, playing off George and Kawhi and hit, you know, seven, take seven threes a game and hit them at even anything over 40, I mean, that's a monstrously good player. Um, defense, ball handling, whatever aside. Uh, defense... The, the Warriors series was promising. I do think that was kind of a unique matchup. And in the playoffs, while some guys can get exposed, it's also a good chance for guys to be able to find a very particular niche that they're decent at. And he was able to run that style of top lock defensively very well. Now, during the regular season, we saw a lot of bad play from him, whether just because he got brushed aside by stronger players, he wasn't quick enough, uh, whatnot. 
So I, I wouldn't be so confident to label him as, you know, anywhere near a plus defender. But I think that was promising. You know, he's he has a decent height for a shooting guard. I think he's like 6'5", six, 6'6". Six, six. He moves decently laterally. And, you know, I think he can become a league average defender. Um, you know, if, if he's able to do that as well as hit, you know, a bunch of threes with some off the dribble and can at least do some ball handling and playmaking, I mean, he's going to be – an extremely good NBA player. And that player is better than J.J. Redick was. Now, it remains to be seen how much his shooting holds up because even a full season in the NBA at decent volume is still subject to some sample size, you know, variation and fluctuation. Like, if he made 15 less threes, his numbers would look somewhat less impressive or 15 more and they'd look even more impressive. Um, So we need to see, like, another year or two before we can confidently label him as, like, truly one of the game's best shooters. Uh, but you're absolutely right. I mean, whenever he takes open threes, Staples starts to get up. When he's in opposing arenas, they, you know, they, it's drawing breath because they think he's going to make it. Already a really feared shooter. And just his form, the way he rises up so quickly and effortlessly and consistently is really, really incredible. Um, you know, I certainly think Shea has a brighter future uh, due to his, you know, overall game. The fact that he was better his rookie season compared to Shamit and was younger. But I think there's definitely a world where Shamit is the better player in the future. I think his upside is higher because, at least as of right now, with the way the game is played today, guys who can take these deep threes off the dribble and bend defenses are the most valuable offensive players in the game. And Shamit could be one of those guys. I do think he needs to make strides as a ball handler and a playmaker and become more comfortable taking those threes off the dribble and deeper threes. Uh, but he's well on the road there. And if he becomes that level guy and add him with George and Kawhi, that's going to be a mighty, mighty difficult team to stop. Yeah, Landry Shamit, if he has a lot of room to improve, and there, there, is a, there is a chance he could be really, really, really good. So lots to look forward to with Landry Shamit. Okay, moving on to a very delicate subject in my life, Shea Gilgis-Alexander. So Shea Gilgis-Alexander <laughs> was our point guard last year, was um, – uh. He was a very, very exciting player. Is a very, very exciting player. Uh, probably my favorite Clipper last year. And was quickly, you know, and if you're my favorite player on my favorite team, you're my favorite player in the league. So watching Shea develop and grow was, uh, was like my favorite thing last year. And I'm going to miss him dearly. And there's so many highlights. Talk about Shea Gilles Alexander. I mean, we might as well just start with what we saw in the Golden State series because he was – he had some incredible flashes and everybody from our team, from the Warriors, from Kerr, Durant, Curry, everybody was kind of raving about Shea, particularly with his great, uh, his great play in the losses in game four and in game six, where he was pretty much just killing it and doing great. I mean, I, I have a lot to say about Shea, but we'll start with you, Pat. Um, what was your, how did you feel watching Shea last year and just like his growth and, how did you feel when we found out that he was one of the guys we were trading? Yeah, I mean, the, the trade was certainly a tough blow, uh, but uh, obviously understandable in a trade that the Clippers have to make. But, you know, sometimes you, there are difficult decisions to be made, and Shea, giving up Shea in that deal was, was definitely one of them. I think my favorite thing and something that you guys touched upon when, when watching Shea over the course of the year is just how much he – well, there was already promise when he was, when he was initially drafted – but just how much he improved from day one and all the way through that Golden State series, just the different types of moves he was able to develop 
through and offensively, defensively, how much he improved. Shot the three ball fairly well as well. Shot 36% on the season. There, there was just so much to like, especially with his frame um, and his body type as well that you could build on. And he's still, what, 21 years old? Um, so, so much to, to, to like about the guy. My favorite thing was just to watch the growth from over the course of the entire season because he, he truly seemed like he was the next he, – he will – and I still believe so much – it sounds like you guys will – he will be one of the next great point guards in this league. The sky is the limit um, because of the potential that he has. Yeah, Shea, Shea's splits were fantastic. He shot uh, 47.6% from the field, 36.7% from three. And if I, I think I remember this correctly because I was watching this very closely, I think he shot 80.000% from the free throw line. I really badly wanted him to get to 80% from the line, and he did on like his last free throw. It was, it was kind of humorous. Um, I'm going to talk about Shea a lot in a second. Rob, your thoughts about Shea? I don't want to go too, too in-depth because – one, unfortunately, he is not a Clipper, uh, which makes me sad. And two, I mean, I've talked about him all year to probably – most people have probably gotten sick of me talking about Shea. Um, Shea is great. He's the best prospect the Clippers had since Blake Griffin. His ability to get to his spots on the floor offensively was truly special for a guy who doesn't possess, you know, Westbrook or John Wall levels of athleticism. He's just so quick and smooth and – his just ability to rise up with his length and shoot over smaller defenders is such a great weapon to have. Um, my favorite moment is probably that game four of the Golden State series when he scored like what, 13 points or was it 16 points in the first quarter? Just absolutely went off yep. and continued playing well throughout the game. The Warriors game, could not stop three. him. Is it game three? I don't know. It was game, game three four. Game, game four, right, right. Game it was game was a four. disaster game when they got to start. Oh, yeah, right, right. Never mind. <laughs> um, no, game four, he was just fantastic and showed every flash of things that he could do. He had shots off the dribble. He took big men off the dribble to get to the basket and finished with either hand. He made some nice passes. He played really good defense. Uh, he hit several threes. His three-point shooting as it came along during the season was so promising. And I just think he's going to be a special player. I love his defense. I mean, the fact that he was a plus defender as a rookie and as a rookie point guard too is absolutely mind-blowing. It is such a tough position to learn defensively. The point guard position in the NBA is so stacked. Yet Shea did a great job on point guards. He did well when playing off the ball. Um, I thought he did really well guarding Clay in that series when he was on Clay. Um, you know, as he beefs up a little bit, he should be able to guard bigger and bigger players three-point shot is probably the big swing for him whether he can really get to the point where he can take them in decent volume like five to six a game and hit them at a pretty consistent basis I mean if he gets there and keeps working on you know his finishing and and his defense he's he's gonna be just a great player and he's so fun to watch I'm gonna I'm gonna watch a lot of Thunder games um probably just to watch Shea because he was absolutely one of my five most you know, favorite players to watch in the NBA last year. And I can't see that changing anytime soon. I'm going to miss him a lot. And uh, I hope he kills it with OKC. I really do. Yeah, I'm not going to talk about Shea too much. Um, but because like Rob, it's obvious that I'm very fond of Shea Gilch Alexander. I got his jersey um, pretty quickly. As soon as they had the rainbow letters, I got it <laughs> from the Clipper store. So, I mean, Shea, 
I loved everything about Shea's game. I loved his headiness as far as defending players. He was like the antithesis to somebody like Avery Bradley, who would just get up on players kind of unnecessarily and let them blow by him more often than you would think from his reputation. Shea would have a nice balance of knowing where guys were going, trying to push them towards the big on their weekends and having the length to catch up sometimes if he does, if somebody did get a step on him because he's so long. Um, his ability to finish around the rim got better and better. Um, he became more comfortable finishing in traffic using either hand, which was something he showed even in summer league last year. He became more confident shooting threes. He became more confident just running plays. He was always a really good pick and roll player. Uh, but we finally got him, you know, in having Martin Gortat and Avery Bradley flank him was probably the, a bigger disservice to him compared to any other Clipper, but he got more in a, more of a groove and more confident as a scorer too, as time went by and uh, really all highlighted by his great, uh, his very good series against the Warriors. I think he's going to be really special. Um, not, not just that, but he's just a really good kid too. Every, every time anybody talked about Shea, it was about work ethic. It was about um, him being a team player, about him showing up to the gym you saw him show up for his cousin getting drafted at the, at the at the lottery in the in the in the first round when um, he got drafted. You just saw him constantly doing the right things, saying the right things. Uh, just a really easy guy to root for. And I was, you know, I was hoping he'd be a Clipper for a long time. I did have an idea that maybe if they got a second star once we once we lost out on all the free agents, that losing Shea was a real real significant possibility. And uh, and it happened. So I'm definitely going to be watching the the uh, the Thunder a lot, um, just to see if Shea can develop his game. Maybe Chris Paul can teach him a thing or two if Chris does stay with OKC. So that'll be a fun thing to watch, and I'll, I'll miss him very much. I was looking forward to watching him for a long time, but now I'll kind of have to settle for just watching him from the periphery. He'll still be one of my favorite players that's not a clipper honestly so there were a lot of moments in the season that were great i think my favorite regular season moment was that game i think against the knicks where he switched hands on this on this uh on this layup at the rim where he finished with his left and had an up and under and it was just like super so smooth and i hadn't seen a layup like that in a long time his ability to finish around the rim with either hand was like very very special and uh just a smart player really sweet mid-range too um, I'm going to miss Shay a lot. So that's, that's sort of a little bit of a recap on Shay. If you want more information on Shay, just click on any podcast from like the last 50 <laughs> podcasts. But yeah, um, I think that'll be my, my take on Shay. Um, Rob, do we want to get a Twitter questions? Yeah, we actually have a bunch of pretty good ones today. Not that they're not always good, but I think <laughs> there, there, uh, there were some particularly good ones today. Um, so we actually, let's try to do uh, fairly quick hitters because I actually want to get to most of them. Um, so the first one from uh, Lorenzo Pasquale, if PG misses the start of the season, who do you think, uh, who do you see as getting his minutes, Harkless or Jermichael? I'd say Harkless is probably right. a better fit for him. Yeah, Harkless. Yeah, Harkless as well. Yeah, okay. Next question from Nathan Delgado. I think we might see Man slash Fee get some pro minutes. Uh, Fee is playing at a thinner position than Terrence Mann is, but I think Terrence Mann is probably closer to NBA level readiness. Uh, I kind of doubt Fiondu gets much in the way of minutes this season. I think Terrence might get a shot at some point or another. Yeah, the minutes are going to be pretty sparse for both of them if we're healthy. Maybe if there were injuries to a big, as is right now, that Fee might get some sparse minutes, some more minutes. But uh, I, I, I don't think either of them are going to be cogs in the rotation. 
anytime soon on a healthy team. Yeah, and I don't know with the the title contention uh, year here coming up, I don't know that Doc will be as inclined to sort of play a a wait and see if those guys develop with some heavy minutes here. I I expect a lot of mop-up time, maybe some uh, limited minutes, as you guys mentioned, due to injuries or – or if uh, Fee cracks the rotation with the with uh, the Clippers kind of short on bigs to start the year, but uh, they'll be sparingly for sure. Yeah, um, I, yeah, I agree with all that. Next question from Ian Harp: How much of an increase do you expect ticket prices to go up? Very interesting. We don't get any questions like this, and I, it's hard for me to say. Surely, I would guess there will be an increase. Um, because, you know, you're selling Paul George and Kawhi Leonard instead of Tobias Harris and Dino Ogalnari. And I love those guys, but, you know, that's a pretty big upgrade, both in terms of just quality of play and in terms of marketability. The team itself should be better. There's going to be a ton of national TV games. Uh, I would expect probably not a massive increase, but I'd expect an increase of sorts. Yeah, that's a good question. I don't really know what to say about that, especially since it's going to affect all of us. Um, Yeah, I'd expect prices to go up, but hopefully with keeping with this whole blue-collar idea of the team, Mm -hmm. they won't go up too much. That's just my big hope. But obviously it can go up however much is set. I'm just hoping it won't go up that much, especially with this whole culture and idea of who the Clippers are. Um, That is kind of an interesting concern, though. We'll see when the season comes by. Yeah, I mean, you have the as you as you said with the Clippers culture, you know, going after as Pat Beverly always says, you know, he does it for the people in the back. That's sort mm-hmm. of the the mantra that the Clippers have taken. If you price yourselves a little bit too much, then it's hard to sort of, you know, get those blue collar folks out to afford a ticket to to go watch. They're, you know, uh, being within a front office organization at the minor league level, I can tell you that, yeah, tickets are probably going to go up and most front offices talk about increasing them almost every single year. Now the Clippers (laughs) have a justifiable reason. Right. So. Yeah. Yeah. I I agree. I mean, I, I, they will go up. Um, We'll see how much, but I I agree. Like, I wonder, I, I do think they'll be wary of pricing out, you know, the blue collar types who they kind of are sticking their, their fan base on. Next question, another interesting one. I'm not sure how much you guys remember from the 2018 draft, but uh, James Scott asks, looking back at the 2018 draft, who would you pick that was drafted after Jerome, not including Shamit? Uh, do the prior year picks as well, if you like. I don't think we need to do the prior year because um, that was the year the Clippers got Sindarius and Juwan late in the second round. Um, but 2018, I'll let you guys go first. I did a lot of research for that draft, so I have some opinions. But if you guys have anything, you know, go for it. Um, let's see. I mean, I'm going to take a really quick peek at the, at the draft, but yeah, you can do that too. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I mean, Jerome, <laughs> I, I just, um, <laughs> there, there, there are probably many, I mean, that, that, that draft was kind of loaded. The only thing that happened was that, you know, it did get a little bit drier as we passed Jerome Robinson, Michael Porter Jr. was right after him. And I completely understand the Clippers not wanting to deal with a back injury and a guy who had surgery on his back. That's just a real huge, um, a huge red flag for Michael Porter Jr. A lot of people will will complain about the fact that we didn't take a flyer on MPJ, but I, I, you know, I've also have experienced a little bit in the medical field and I, I wouldn't have drafted him either. It's a huge red flag. I know he didn't even, did he, he barely even played in summer league, right? Cause he got hurt right away. So I, I just, I don't trust Michael Porter Jr. Until I see him on the floor. <laughs> 
I mean, afterwards, you would have to, you would have to. I mean, Lonnie Walker would be somebody. Hoarder for who went to the Hawks is a is a knockdown shooter in the vein of kind of um, of Shamit already. You know, Koji Grayson Allen dropped forty plus on us. Aaron Holiday looks promising. <laughs> Landry Shamit, obviously. Uh, there, there are a lot of players that were kind of promising that went after Mitchell Robinson. Obviously, is a bit of a, pros- a prospect, but he has a future in the league. A lot of players, really. Jerome Robinson is not very promising right now, and there are a lot of players that went after him uh, that might might have a better career. <laughs> it's kind of very discouraging. Uh, yeah, I don't. I kind of don't want to keep looking because it's just it just makes me frustrated. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah I mean, I, I'm not too as well versed as you guys are with uh, you know draft prospects and everything like that. Uh, but you know, being a West Coast guy, I'm a season ticket holder to Oregon men's basketball, so I got a long look at Troy Brown over the course of the season. Yeah. A guy that I think right. has a lot of potential, and someone obviously as a Clipper fan that they were right in position to take him. He went to uh, just a few picks later, I think 15 overall, and then. Um, Shap, you just mentioned him, Aaron Holiday, look at coming out of UCLA. Uh, thought he was a great shooter, had a couple of great games against Oregon at, at Matt Knight here in Eugene. Um, was another guy that stands out for me in addition to the names you mentioned. But Troy Brown, selfishly, as a former duck. I will say um, at the time, so last year, Jerome was probably around 25th on my board. <laughs> so there were a bunch of guys I would have taken over him. Troy Bowne actually probably was the top guy on my list who I wanted the Clippers to take. Um, he didn't have a great rookie year, but I'd say was still more promising than Jerome. Is also a couple years younger. Uh, looked good in summer league the first couple games he played before leaving with a knee injury, actually against the Clippers. Um, I would still take him over, over Jerome. The other guy I really liked was Zaire Smith. I would also take him uh, over Jerome then and now. The guy who I think now in retrospect a year later you take Shap you mentioned him as Herder uh he was really good for the Hawks a guy who can shoot pass dribble a little bit play some defense I think he's gonna be quite good I'm not sure there's a ton of huge upside there but I think he's gonna be a very good player um but I mean yeah there's like last year there were probably 10 guys I would have taken over him this year there's probably you know a year later it was probably like 15 I mean I think Mitchell Robinson Bruce Brown um, even like Jalen Brunson, if you just want a pure backup point guard, like it's a long, long list of guys before you get to Jerome. Yeah, uh, yeah. The less we talk about Jerome, the better. The better. Yeah. Okay. Um, <laughs> the next question is from What a Do Baby at Albianu. Uh, what what do a Do Baby. What a Do Baby. <laughs> what do you think the lineup should be when PG or Ka- Kawhi Leonard sit, or when both sit? I think we've talked about when one sits. So I think when both sit, I'd probably go Beverly. Shamit, Magruder, uh, Jamichael Green, Zubots, and I'm fine with Harkless instead of Magruder, one of those two. Yeah, I'm fine playing Harkless instead of either George or um, either George or Kawhi, depending on matchup. If both were out, yeah, I mean, Magruder would be an interesting fit. We can maybe – if it depends on who we start on the regular without him. I mean, mm-hmm. if Shamit is coming off the bench, Shamit somebody who could be inserted into the starting lineup – uh, the nice thing is that we have we have our share of kind of guard slash wings if we go small, so we can kind of pu- uh, plug and play Magruder. Magruder will be an interesting player. I mean, I've seen a lot of highlights from him. I know he started with the Heat quite a few games, and he seems like a kind of a 
sneaky, versatile player, seeing how he fits with this Clippers team. I think that he, you know, I know that he's kind of penciled in as the bench player right now. And, but I feel like there might be room for his role to expand, especially with the load management schemes that we have, if he does impress a bit uh, early in the season, and especially in preseason. So, yeah, Magruder and, uh, and Harkless maybe would be, would be my picks. Yeah, I'm in agreement with you guys. I, I like Harkless's game a lot. I really like the, the Clippers being, pulling off that savvy trade to bring him on. Um, I've, I've enjoyed, I've gotten a good look at him in, in a Blazer uniform, of course. Um, I love his, the length that he offers uh, at the wing position. Plays good deal, knock down a three-pointer here and there. Um, those numbers from three weren't great last year. Um, for the Blazers, I like to pick up there. And Magruder's a guy, yeah, I'm, I'm interested to see kind of what his role is going to be, penciled, penciled in as the bench guy. But I, I think the question is uh, Harkless or Magruder in addition to the four that you guys were talking about. Yeah, I mean, I, I think it's fairly well set. Um, so who knows, maybe Terrence Mann makes a push. Maybe Terrence Mann plays 48 minutes a game, you don't know. Yeah, becomes an <laughs> uh, Next question from at Wamey Giveaway. Two questions. Uh, which transaction was the most important, securing Leonard outright or trading for George to sign Leonard? And to any word on Gustavo Ion coming to the Clippers? Uh, I, I don't think any word on Gustavo Ion. Yo, shout out to Gustavo Ion, who I had on my 20-team league when he was a Pelican or in New Orleans. He was a sneaky, decent fantasy player back then. <laughs> uh, he's actually pretty good. He was, he's he's good. pretty good for Real Madrid. Uh, but but he's, I, like, he's like 35 now, right? Or yeah, he, he's kind of old. He's, it's, that's not going to happen, I don't think. Um, as for the other question, I still am of the opinion. I think Kawhi was coming even if they didn't get George. So I think securing Leonard outright was the most important move. And I also think he's better than Paul George. So I'm going to say securing Leonard was, was the most important. Yeah. I mean, if you, if you treat them as, as dependent on each other, then it's hard to separate them at all. But if you treat them as separate transactions, then yeah, Kawhi, Kawhi means more to, to securing Kawhi means more to this franchise. Because Paul George, and you know, George, you can argue if he's better than Chris Paul or if Chris Paul's better than him. I would argue that Chris Paul in his absolute peak was, was better than Paul George, but we've never had anybody like Kawhi quite. You know, I think Chris Paul was a top three arguable player, but Kawhi is arguably the best player in the league right now. So I think it's just kind of a different a different scale uh, attaining Kawhi, especially after the whole year of trying to get him. So, Yeah, and I think if you look at it in terms of separate transactions, I don't think, the let's say Kawhi wasn't signing, I don't think the Clippers pulled the trigger on the Paul George trade um, if it were just Paul George coming to the Clippers. And, and I'm in agreement with you guys. It's it's Kawhi, hands down. There there wouldn't have been this much juice around the team had it been anybody else. Anybody else. Okay. This one, maybe we'll have some disagreement on this next question. From at Giants on the Moon, who was better, last year's Raptors or this year's Clippers? Hmm. I probably, I mean, I'd say on paper it's this year's Clippers, but it's tough. It's close. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to lean the Clippers just because, yeah, I think the Paul George um, – takes them over top and, and then the, the Lou Trez bench duo coming off the bench. I think that it's, it's a slightly deeper team than the roster than the Raptors. I don't get me wrong. I had a phenomenal roster and you have to, in order to win the title, but I'm, I'm still, I'm going Clippers over Raptors last year. Rob, Rob, you're going with the Raptors. I think I would. Yeah. It's tough. It's a tough pick. I mean, the Raptors were so good. They, um, they were really good. Their defense in the playoffs was just extraordinary. Um, 
I think on paper, you know, the fully healthy Clippers, if you're playing Kawhi and Paul George, like, you know, 40 minutes a game, have Beverly is healthy. I, I, the Clippers might win that in a series, but that would be tough. I'd um, say I'd say if the Clippers played the Raptors tomorrow, like right like right now, then the Raptors would probably win just because they're they have chemistry and the Clippers don't. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think Gasol and Ibaka would kind of be a problem for the Clippers big men, um, just from a pure matchup perspective. That's really. I mean, they won the championship last year, and while the Warriors were really banged up, I mean, they took down really, really, really good Sixers and Bucks teams. Um, and, I mean, we have Lou and Trez, but they had, uh, you know, recent father Fred Van Vliet, who was <laughs> – Yeah, what Van Vliet are we facing? Is yeah, I think that's really <laughs> the question. Like, are, are we facing late playoffs Van Vliet? Because if so, I mean, I think the Raptors beat every <laughs> – Are we are we facing post-fatherhood Van Vliet? Because yeah. <laughs> he might be an all-star next year. <laughs> it was insane. Hubie uh, Brown's finals MVP pick. Oh, what a legend. <laughs> if the Clippers land, by the way, if the Clippers somehow land Hubie Brown for their analyst role. Oh, I would, please. I would probably be happier than the day that they got Paul George and Kawhi. Yeah, Hubie Brown as our analyst and like Doris Burke on the sidelines or something crazy like that. Uh, I, yeah, I don't Dor- think. Doris, Bur- Doris Burke as color commentator would be great. That's not going to happen, obviously, but still. They, that, I, I legit think they might actually be after Burke. I mean, they targeted. Oh, Sarah that would be Fox. so good. She's so good. Oh. Uh, I, I. I would not be surprised if they at least reached out to her, but I mean, I'm sure she's already getting like a massive bag. I mean, I don't know if even Balmer could give her more and, and she gets to do different kind of stuff than she would just covering one team. But if she wants to do a team, I mean, that would be, that would be awesome. Okay. Final question from at advanced Stats 23. He's a friend of mine on Twitter. More minutes this year, Jerome Robinson or Terrence Mann? Ugh. Oh, I mean, Jerome, <laughs> Jerome's going to get more minutes, but I'm going to disagree. I, I like Terrence Mann a lot. He's my new flavor of summer league. He was a lot of fun. And, and uh, you saw that triple-double game, right? Or that near triple-double game, Rob? Yeah, I was there. Yeah, I mean, if I was there, I probably would be penciling him in as a starter right now. He was. That was a very exciting <laughs> – that was a super exciting game. I want Mann to play minute, more minutes than Robinson, but Robinson will play more. Yeah, I'm in agreement there. I, I think, especially early on, I think the Clippers really want to see if Jerome takes that next leap, um, which will necessitate more minutes um, for Terrence Mann, even though he was very impressive in summer league. I will once again disagree, maybe just to be contrarian. Please, Rob, please. Uh, I have I sources. You have sources in, in the in the league to like give us. <laughs> I do think Mann will play more than Robinson, and uh, sources is a stretch. But I did talk <laughs> to a couple of Clippers people at summer league. Um, and I mean, they're playing Terrence Mann as point guard there for a reason. Well, do I think he gets backup point guard minutes regularly next year? No, but I think there's a chance he does at some point enter the rotation as a backup point guard. Um, because I think they saw how kind of good he was at running an offense and, and handling the ball better than I'm guessing they thought he would be. The plan was originally to have Jerome Robinson run the offense in summer league, but Mann was better at it. Um, and Mann will probably also be a better defender. So really, I think, you know, it, it might come down to man shooting because if he can't shoot, that's a big issue. If he's at least an okay shooter, I think he might get Jerome's minutes. So I'm going to say man, probably mostly just to be contrarian, but whatever, I kind of believe it. I'm into it. But yeah, that's it for Twitter questions. I don't really have too much else. We kind of talked about um, the broadcast crew. Uh, we haven't talked about Brian Seaman, I guess. I mean, I think it was basically a foregone conclusion. It would be him. 
Um, you know, I thought there was an outside chance they'd want to go for an entirely new team uh, with both the play-by-play and analyst role, but I guess Seaman would probably be brought back. It's really no surprise. He's really good. Uh, do you guys have any other thoughts on, you know, him or on the analyst or the broadcast or, you know, any of that kind of stuff? I'm, Pat, I'm, that's I'm, your professional. <laughs> your yeah, prof- yeah, Pat, what's your, what's your take on, on uh, Seaman? Did you listen to much Seaman on the radio? Um, I don't, I haven't checked into him too much. Um, but I mean, judging from all the outs, I mean, all the support that he's gotten, um, and, and just some of the highlights that I've heard from him, it seems like it was an, it it was the no brainer slam dunk choice. Um, so I'm excited to see, he's got big shoes to fill, man. I was a big Ralph Lawler guy. That was sort of amongst all of my favorite teams growing up. And I'm, I'm more of certainly more of a baseball guy, obviously in minor league baseball, but in terms of broadcast voices growing up, I mean, Lawler was it for me. There's, there's sort of things that I take after him in, in broadcasts of my own because it, it, he was every, he was the Clippers for me growing up because the teams were largely so terrible. Um, (laughs) So, I mean, it's big shoes to fill. I'm interested to see what they do with the analyst role alongside him as well. I definitely think Doris Burke would be a phenomenal addition though. I don't think it's likely to happen. Um, uh, judging by her role at at, um, at ESPN, but uh, man, it's 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 going to be exciting and, and sort of di- it's going to be different, so to speak, to tune into a Clippers game and not have Ralph Lawler. But I'm excited to see what Seaman can do. It's it's exciting. I mean, I haven't listened to many radio broadcasts. I've only heard some clips, especially after it got announced. I know the clip of him covering the 31 point comeback was floating all over Twitter, and uh, that's really good. And he's super exciting. He did a good job. Um, trying his best to compliment Ralph uh, when he fe- was featured earlier in the season. And even though it wasn't really his comfort zone, since he's a play-by-play guy, I thought he held himself pretty well. And I'm excited for him. And it really it's just kind of nice that this guy who's been doing radio for so, so long is getting a chance to take Ralph's shoes. And I think it's really cool for, for him. Who see- he just seems like a, like a deserving candidate. So I'm happy that he got to kind of graduate to this position and I'm looking forward to it. I'm going to miss Ralph a lot. Um, I love Ralph and I, I hope he kind of maybe does some guest spots. That would be kind of cool, but I think Siemens was the right choice. So. Yeah. I don't, I don't really have too much else to add to that. I also didn't listen to a ton of radio. The little I've heard I liked, I know my dad really likes Brian Siemens. So uh, that's good. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, I mean, I've only heard good things and obviously he knows a lot about the Clippers. So it's, it's good. It's good to have somebody in the organization who's like, maybe not a fan, but kind of looks at it from that perspective, having been around for, you know, over a decade already. So yeah, I'm excited. I'm excited to see what they do. I'm guessing a couple of the older guys will stick around in like the halftime capacity, like McLean or Maggetti, uh, whatever. But I, don't think either of those guys will be the new analyst. So I'm it, was surprising. it was surprising seeing McGetty cover a summer league in general after everything. But it I was guess. interesting. Um, and they never had any kind of announcement that he was back. So it's just something that happened, I guess, that uh, they were just comfortable bringing him back, maybe in like a lower pressure, lower spotlight role. Um, but yeah, I mean, I don't think he's going to be the analyst. I'm guessing he might still just work with halftime stuff. But yeah, I don't, I don't really have anything else to say. Do you have anything else you want to say, Pat or or Shap? Pat, anything you want to plug or anything like that? No, I mean, yeah. If you guys want to follow me on Twitter at other Pat Zajac, but man, I mean, parting words. I just, uh, I, I'm so overjoyed and and excited for this upcoming season. It's it's truly a time that for the 
for the fan base that we can live it up um, uh, with how much we got going for us going into this season. And uh, just the, just the exuberance on the day when, when the deals were announced with Kawhi Leonard and Paul George was, a, was a night that I'll probably never forget. And it's, it was just an awesome to enjoy it. Uh, not only, you know, with friends that are fans and everything like that, but also just with all Clipper fans on social media and, and on Twitter, it was, it was such a blast to be a part of uh, a night like that. And I appreciate you guys inviting me back on. Uh, would love to do this again sometime, especially once the season gets rolling around and see if these, this title contending team comes to fruition. Yeah, man, you'll be welcome back. Of course, You're, you'll always have a, have a spot here to come and visit whenever you can on the law of the gem, the podcast. So we appreciate you kind of pushing to start this whole thing way back when with Lucas and, and now it's just kind of a thing on its own. And me and Rob have kind of gotten comfortable doing it now, but we definitely remember you very fondly because we were all, th- all three of us were, were doing it for quite some time too. So it was, uh, it was cool and it's definitely cool to have you back, man. And, uh, and you'll definitely be back on the show for sure. Awesome. Thank you very much, guys. Yeah. And I think that'll do it for this episode of the Law of the Gem, the podcast. Thanks for listening, everybody. As always, leave us a review or a nice rating on whatever you listen to us to. And of course, go Clippers! What do you do, baby? Yeah.